The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you wonder how to best tell your company's story in a way that engages and motivates the best prospects and customers to keep them moving forward with your company? To answer that question, Rasha Drakovich. Rasha, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joel. Happy to be on. Listen, man, you are legendary in Los Angeles. I mean, you're somebody who has created many of these um, reality shows. My favorite one that you that you've produced, by the way, is Lock Up. I just think that watching these prison shows, uh, because it helps me uh, stay on the straight line, by the way, just to, <laughs> it's kind of that scared straight thing from when, when we were kids, they used to do that program. And and that's kind of what your show does. But it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank for you. This. Appreciate it. So tell me something, just real quick. What, what are some of the big shows in your lineup that, uh, that you've produced over the many years? Well, Lockup uh, was on 20 years on MSNBC. Uh, Glad you mentioned it. It's it's one of the most difficult shows to do, and yet one of the most rewarding. And uh, a lot of fans out there, like Dwayne Johnson, Mark Wahlberg. So it's kind of funny how it reached out to a whole uh, community that followed the show. Uh, we've done Wahlburgers on A and E, Nightwatch, uh, Hollywood Medium, True Story of Black Hawk Down. Um, you know, we've been doing shows, Pitbulls and Proleys on Animal Planet. It's it's really you know since June of 1984, which is a few moons ago, we've been fortunate, Joel, to have a show on the air every year and have been able to make payroll every Friday. And that's not an easy thing to do in a business like television that has changed dramatically uh, over four decades. Um, but that's that's our our story. So, so let's just talk, just because not everybody understands how the uh, production business works, the TV business works. Your company produces the shows. So do, do you buy scripts? Do people pitch you on their ideas? Where, just tell us where you fit in the big puzzle of television production. So 44 Blue Productions, name of our company, we produce non-scripted programming. So think of documentaries, reality shows, anything that doesn't have actors or scripts or, you know, they're, they're not films. They're what you would find pretty much on basic cable uh, the HBOs, the Discovery Channels, the A&Es. We provide, we're content providers, right? So we come up with ideas, develop them, 
pitch them like you would pitch any product. And then, you know, fingers crossed, a network executive will go, I want one of those. And you work out a budget and a calendar and off you go into production. And with the hopes that you get ratings, you know, ratings are eyeballs. Eyeballs are viewers who may or may not, you know, like the product that we create. And if we get enough people watching, our ratings are high, then you get a show like Lockup that could get picked up every year, every year, every year. So we're content providers. Let me understand uh, how this works. So do you produce the show first on spec or do you get the commitment from the from the network or the or the cable channel to run it and advance you some money? How does that work? Yeah, so we produce on spec the materials like uh, the sizzle reel. Think of it as like a, a promo tape, co- proof of concept, the deck, which is basically a PowerPoint presentation. Anything and everything that we could put together to form a pitch, you know, pitch of an idea the actual production gets funded by the network. So that could be anywhere on the low end, let's say in the home and garden space, they might spend a couple hundred thousand dollars per episode, all the way up to let's say Fox or HBO, and they're gonna spend upwards to a million dollars per episode. So they pay for the production of the show, but initially it's our currency that gets into it. So you, so you kind of come up with the, uh, with the concept and where do your concepts come from? Do people bring them to you or are they just done at a table in your office? Yeah, it's a great question. It's three ways. One is it's internally developed by our development team and our development team comes up with it from reading the papers or blogs or finding concepts and so on. Two is outside producers can come in. Joel, you could come in with an out, an idea that say, hey, I think we should do a documentary on the Dodgers or something like that. And then we'll partner with you to make that show. And then three is a network will call us uh, because of our relationship with them. And they'll say, hey, we've got this idea. Uh, we need a production company to execute it. Uh, 44 Blue, will you, will you do that? So those are the three steps. Okay, so somebody, so somebody brings you a show. Uh, let's say, or you come up with an idea, uh, you produce the, uh, the preliminary materials, you take it to the network, to, to a net, it's the network. That's what it is. And, and they say, we like it. Uh, here's, here's the money for 13 shows. They'll give you 13 shows worth, let's say, uh, you know, or here's, here's one or two pilots and whatever, whatever you'll make one or two, whatever it is they agree to. And then you run it. And, and your profit is the spread between what they advance and what you do it for? Yeah, so that's a great question. So we, uh, our profits are in the executive producer fees. That's basically to manage the show, right? Our profits are in the back end. You know, the show might sell internationally or it might become a podcast or it might have other ancillary revenue streams. Um, uh, international marketplace is very big for some of our shows. And basically that's, that's the, the margin that we have uh, that we would consider profits. What makes for a great show? I mean, I mean, when, when you, when you, do you recognize a great show when you hear it? I mean, you have pretty high pitch rate when you go to the, uh, the networks or, you know, what, what is that? What is that whole sense of like? The pitch rate is pretty, uh, pretty high. I would say you need about, you know, 10 projects to maybe sell one or two. And that's just because you can't tell the trends change all the time. And we'll, um, you know, viewing patterns, you know, I don't know if you remember back in the day, but there was this crazy show called Duck Dynasty on A&E. 
and everybody in town was trying to find guys with beards who did crazy things. You know, that that was a phenomenal hit for three, four years and then, you know, went away and the networks wanted nothing to do with guys with beards um, unless they were, you know, looking for gold up in Alaska or something. So trends change all the time, um, you know, um, and basically our ability to, tr to kind of identify those trends and figure out, you know, what viewers are interested in, you know, it is a copycat business. So, you know, when a show pops a rating, you're going to find 10 different, you know, spin-offs of that on different networks because it's, it's this, you know, simplest form of trying to get to success. So that's, uh, that, that's pretty cool that, um, you know, I've really kind of, even, even as somebody from Los Angeles and we, we know a lot of people, uh, people in all of our neighborhoods are in the, in the studio business and a lot of them are vendors, either camera people or they supply paint or they, you know, whatever it is. But, uh, it, it's interesting to hear this. Hey, I've always heard that, uh, the saying is reality TV is anything but. So, is, is what, how much truth is there? You know, I, and I guess there's different genres of reality. Like, uh, you know, like you say, there's no script, but there, there's enough of a script that, that a lot of people get trapped into some weird stuff. So, just what what happens? Yeah, it, it's it's uh, kind of the R word, uh, reality TV. We we um, sometimes it becomes kind of a stigma stigma to the industry. Uh, how much of it's real, you know, how much of it's scripted and so on. And there are certain shows where, you know, it is basically, um, um, you know, a, a scripted drama, you know, people are given lines and, you know, they have to read them and so on. Um, you know, I find the two components to make for a great reality show are cast and access, right? If you get a great cast that's original, like the show we do called Pitbulls and Prolies, this is a woman who rescues Pitbulls and hires Prolies parolees and it's been on now for 16 seasons on animal planet not one thing is scripted it is as real as it can be because you don't need to create drama and i think some shows that don't have organic drama or organic comedy you know have to rely on you know let's just call them gimmicks of the trade that they have to come up with shtick or you know copy to you know create a fake fight scene or something like that we're we're really trending toward and have been you know looking for those cast and access like lockup there are no second takes in lockup joel like it is real <laughs> that what you saw on those shows is a hundred percent you can't ask a, an inmate to go back inside the cell or can you release them and then bring him <laughs> back in you know so so i think audiences are pretty sophisticated about you know Re reality of reality, you know, what shows are just, you know, kind of guilty pleasures and they're going to watch them because you're just for the ride of seeing the housewives of some city battle it out. Or do you really want to get into a, a meaty, you know, Netflix crime, you know, uh, episode, uh, whodunit that is based upon real detectives, real evidence and, and so on. So that's that's kind of the the split in our business in terms of what's real and what isn't. The listeners of, of this show are uh, business executives from middle size and larger companies. So let's try and uh, adapt some of the things that you're talking about, you know, about cast, uh, pitching, access, you know, what all the, all, every single one of those things. I mean, as a longtime businessman, not in your business, but in, in, in other business, uh, I can relate to those things. I mean, our cast is our, is our, uh, is our staff. Right. I mean, and our uh, the people that create uh, curiosity and pitch are our salespeople. 
I mean, so we we kind of parallel what you do and, and maybe even more than parallel. And maybe we all both have the same things. How does some of the things that you've seen, uh, you know, that you do for your business apply inside your business? You see what I'm saying? Like, let's talk about some of those parallels. Well, you know, um, from a creative standpoint, you have to have curiosity. You just mentioned it. It's what makes for a real successful producer. Uh, the curiosity to find stories, to dig deeper. You know, you read something, an article, a blog, something comes across the the way like, hey, that might make for a good show. That, you know, person or that place or that idea could make for a good show. That's what drives our development team. And that team comes up with ideas that we have to then, as we talked about, go out and pitch and sell. The other side of our business is kind of, you know, the the nuts, you know, nuts and bolts of the business, you know, our post-production team, our you know, um, our production camera team, our, you know, legal accounting, all the other elements that, you know, most businesses have, they keep us, you know, humming. And especially, you know, with the challenges today of how do you film these shows, some of them very complicated uh, in a pandemic, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So we've turned to kind of our, you know, the core base of the company uh, to figure out how do we produce these shows while our development team goes out and comes up with these great ideas and pitches them and in some cases sells them, you have to have the other end of basically, you know, the engine room to figure out, you know, how do we power them and make them work, you know? Well, right. So your, your production uh, room is like a plant. I mean, that's like where the uh, companies do their assembly lines or whatever they, they have, you know, it's their inventory and all their stuff. So, I mean, there's a tremendous parallel between your business, even though all the language, the nomenclature is all different. The ideas are virtually identical and parallel. You know, it's a funny thing you bring up uh, curiosity because to me, the media is so great at curiosity. Some of us are pretty good at it, but the media is fantastic at it. You know, you, you watch TV, tornadoes touch down in Los Angeles. We'll show you where at 11, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you got to be kidding. Exactly. Tornadoes, touch, I, I got to see that. I got to find out where it is. And they, and they bring you, you know, bring you in. And I think that businesses could learn to do that better in their sales pitches, in their emails, in their voicemails that they send out and in, in their, in any of their correspondence, they could learn. Is there like a trick to it or, or is it just something that you just kind of catch on to? No, it's, there's no real trick to it. I think, um, Kind of getting back to like good ideas. What's what makes a good idea? Your one of your original questions is is it's really kind of at the core. Is it authentic? You know, and um, and then I have to say, you know, we've got basically twenty five buyers that make up our universe. So that's not a lot. You know, there's a thousand channels out there. Our relationships with those twenty five buyers and a lot of them change. You know, they basically rotate. You know, your um, they're, they're temporary people making permanent decisions because your executives kind of come and go, but there's the network still stays. Um, we've got 25 cracks at this, you know, and not every show, you know, what we would pitch, let's say an idea that we're excited about to an HBO might be very different for, you know, uh, HGTV, right? So our buyer base is only 25. So our, our ability to be kind of broad um, and yet specific, if that makes any sense, to ta tailor toward those networks really is the fine line between our success and failure. Well, you know, I, I want to I come back to the curiosity thing for just another minute. But, uh, but before I do that, I just want to ask you this one question. Um, how do you maintain relationships 
where the buyer is changing all the time because a lot of people uh, who are in sales departments notice that about corporate uh, organizations is their person changes right out from under them and then their whole opportunity evaporates. So how do you maintain a, a relationship with the mothership even though the captain of the ship or the uh, whoever the guys are are changing? So it's basically protecting your brand, right? So every company, every producer, in, 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 and I say this to a lot of um, people getting into the business, they ask for tips and advice. I tell them, listen, think of yourself as a brand. You know, what do you represent? What are you known for, right? What's 44 Blue known for? So we take great pride to, to protect our brand, which is, you know, we do quality programming. We can do it at an affordable price, right? We have a very good reputation in town. We don't burn bridges. You know, we play well with partners and so on. So that as executives come and go, if our brand stays strong, you know, our reputation will, you know, in some ways precede us to the next group that comes in with the next big idea at the network. You know, that's, that's a little bit of our strategy or secret sauce is to figure out, you know, how do we maintain that reputation? Because that's what it is. You know, there's, there's nothing else, you know, if, if you burn a bridge in this business, it's, it's too small, um, very hard to get back into to, you know, the cycle of who's working and who's not. We work really hard on maintaining that. You produce TV shows. You ever tempted to do a, a full length feature film or something else? I mean, because, you know, you put yourself in kind of in a box and, and I imagine that's worked out good for you, but have you ever been tempted to leave the box and go do something else? Well, we did a film in 1995 called Journey to Mars, and it was on CBS, and I was thrilled because it had an amazing cast, Dean Jones, Judge Reinhold, and it was with Fred Silverman, and it was for the major network like CBS, and it became the second lowest rated film in television history. <laughs> <laughs> so that knocked the film out of me, right? Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, I can't remember ever hearing of that. It's okay. It, it's actually got a subculture, a group out there that that um, love it. It's kind of like one of those Plan B from the outer space, you know, the so bad it's good, you know. But uh, it, sounds, it sounds like it's got a, maybe a little, little bit of Rocky Horror. Yeah, exactly, a cult classic, let's say. Uh, but that that got back to you know, I found the most interesting stories, if we're storytellers um, as a core, the most interesting stories are real. And how do we tell them well? That's really at the base of what we do. You know, How much of, uh, of technology uh, changing has, has affected your business? In other words, I watched, if you remember this from the 60s, there was a show, a movie called Fantastic Voyage. Mm -hmm. And it was this incredible science fiction yeah. movie where they injected a little submarine into a guy's body to go through his bloodstream and fix a problem in his brain. And, and I remember as a little kid, I thought it was the most incredible thing ever that I watched it a couple of years ago. And I thought, Oh my God, you gotta be, you know, but, but the thing was that like the, the backdrops, it was like uh, they had like tin foil and you could see the tin foil and they had like paint. You could see where it was. <laughs> it was terrible. It was just terrible. But at that time it was like, Oh my God, it's like the greatest thing ever. So how much has that technology has enhanced your ability or made it, your made it more difficult for you? You know, which one? No, the best advice I got a uh, long time ago was, um, you know, don't worry about technology because it's going to change. Unless you're in the tech field where, you know, your 2K, 3K, 4K cameras are going to change every year. You're a content producer. So what you put in the box, you know, whether it's a postage stamp 
or whether it's a, you know, a flat screen the size of, you know, you know, Southern California, you know, you've got to come up with quality content. And, you know, that has kept us pretty grounded. You know, our, our operations side has to go to, you know, the conventions like NAB and they have to know what the latest and greatest and, hey, there's a faster, better, you know, all of that for sure. So, you're, so your, your production teams are paying attention to, to that. They have to but, know the state you, of the art. But you really bifurcate the, you know, the technology people from everybody else. So everybody else is, is really focused on content yeah. and, and you just give those other guys a budget for buying new equipment. Yeah, we have to we have to maintain the look so we don't have the coat of paint in the corners that you're talking about from Fantastic Voyage. <laughs> we, we have to stay current to to make sure that our shows look premium, and that's the word of the of the week. But you know, we don't spend a ton of time doing that. We spend much more time finding out what are we going to put in the box. The the huge revolution that's not even new anymore has been you know the streamers right and there used to be a uh, saying content is king right so what you make is king and that's changed in the last five years to convenience is king basically meaning you don't have to wait till saturday night uh, at 9 10 and 11 o'clock to watch lockup you can watch it anytime you want and control your viewing right and that was the explosion of netflix and amazon and hulu and all the rest and you, if you saw just recently, uh, the Discovery Channel came up, uh, you know, they are the kings of cable. Discovery between all the channels that they have just came out last week with a new product called Discovery Plus. Real uh, original thinking there. Yeah, well, uh, I wonder, wonder it, how many people had to work on that deal. Exactly. <laughs> Staff of 30, <laughs> I got it. Let's call it Discovery Plus. But anyway, really, um, uh, really... Uh, you know, bells and whistles um, presentation looks amazing, but it's basically they they lost cable. Basically, it was the it's the first big shot at the end of cable, um, conventional cable, and Discovery now is moving into the streaming world because they lost thirty percent of their viewers based upon the convenience is king model. Everybody cut cords or is watching uh, at their you know, hey, let's see what's on Netflix. Hey, let's see what's on. Um, Amazon and um, not having to wait for, you know, it, it seems archaic now to think you have to wait for a day to watch a show at a time. So that's been seismic shift in our business right now. Yeah. You know, you may not know this, but um, in 1992, uh, actually 1990, we uh, meet another guy created the uh, concept of delivering stock quotes to investors by fax. So you didn't have to wait till tomorrow to get the newspaper Wow. Uh, you didn't have to read through 11,000 uh, entries. You told us what 20 or 30 you wanted to pay attention to. And we faxed them to you within a half an hour of the stock market closing on the same day. Amazing. So we shaved like 18 hours off the process. Okay. So it's funny that you bring that up. I, I never really thought that the same cycle is kind of happening. We're kind of collapsing the cycle uh, yeah. you know, of, of people's uh, attention span. And that we, we did that a long time ago. And uh, we noticed the same thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's the uh, direction we're heading in right now. But again, it goes back to um, full cycle to content and, and technology. You still need to find interesting products for people to browse. I mean, who would have thought Tiger King would be a huge hit? But, you know, during a pandemic, we all sat around watching this crazy guy, you know, with tigers and, you know, became kind of a national phenomena. 
but you know whether you like it or not it was different enough that you know we had a, it, it in the last dance was fantastic i don't know if you saw that on espn um it was the, the Chicago michael jordan Bulls. deal yeah exactly yeah. you had a captive audience because of the pandemic and there were no sports at the time it's when the nba shut down and yeah. nothing was, nothing was going on and then you had this beautifully you know i think it was eight to ten part series on you know one of the greatest dynasties of all time so so content still is is a driving force and as long as we can produce it at an affordable price going back to the original um uh, um, you know, I would, I would, uh, you know, thinking about content is king versus convenience is king. Mm -hmm. I would still bet on content because convenience yeah. is a modality. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's a, it's a flavor of the day. You know, today we're doing uh, internet. Tomorrow we're doing satellite. The day after that we're doing something else. And, but the content still survives. Um, I understand you recently sold your company or sold part of your company in the last handful of years. They didn't buy the convenience. They bought the content because they could stream it or move it or do with it uh, and monetize it however they want. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, is would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we just ducked in. Uh, I, I want to. If we're talking last dance, I use another basketball analogy. We sold kind of like a three-point shot. You know, the ball leaves the fingertips at the buzzer. You know, any bit later may not have happened. Um, but we were fortunate to to sell in June of 16, when M&As um, were really kind of fading out in our business. There was a huge rush to buy up companies like ours, uh, like from 2010 to 2016. So we were one of the last ones in, but we were purchased by ProSieben Sat Eins, Red Arrow Group, a German company, and they have built a consortium of production companies, 21 total. And I think we were like the 21st. Um, and to do just that, to basically uh, acquire uh, companies with all this content so that they could put it into all their distribution pipelines, international, you know, uh, multiple, multiple different, different ways. Uh, and so, yes, we were... We were fortunate, but at the end of, you know, that was our 32nd year in, in production, uh, was quite a reward uh, for all the hard work for three decades. So we were have there good. been any other synergies that have come to you guys as a result of that acquisition? Well, an access to the global market, for sure, um, through, throughout this year, because this year is just such a, a wash, but up until, you know, 2016 through 19, uh, the ability to tap into markets, you know, and formats. Formats are content that are based on, think of game shows or, you know, like the Mass Singer, that's a format, or The Amazing Race or, you know, Survivor. Those are formats. And what we do is we look for those formats in foreign countries that do really well. Um, there's some markets like Japan, they do fantastic formats, Israel, leaders in formats. And then we'll uh, go there and we'll acquire the rights to their format and then adapt it and sell it in the U.S. marketplace. That's, that's, a, that's a real good business model because most of the shows, most of the formats today, if you look at um, on the, on the uh, network side, um, the major networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, most of those formats are foreign formats that have been adapted to the U.S. marketplace. So, you know, one of the one of the things the uh, the show The Good Doctor has a uh, has an interesting thing. It says it adapted from this Korean right. show, and, and that's not a normal thing. We don't normally see that, you know, for those kind of programs. But uh, it must have been a show that was done overseas, 
and then they liked the idea and they brought it yeah. here and and do they do they just translate the script verbatim or do they start from scratch with the well, idea you, to, you know uh, there's a you know lost in translation maybe in some of um uh, the storyline so you have to adapt it but some things need no adapting one of the biggest franchise um america's funniest videos was a japanese format that was brought here basically you know you're looking at people's home videos of them slipping and falling and cats flipping and things like that you know that i think it's still on the air and that was basically a simple japanese format Wipeout, um the show where people are getting hit by you know things and knocked over and so on a foreign <laughs> format american ninja warrior same thing a big format overseas that was brought over here so some things don't need adaption you know if you're running through an obstacle course, I think it works in most every language. But if it's something like The Good Doctor or something that's scripted, they're going to have to, you know, make it more, you know, palatable to the U.S. marketplace. This is this is a fascinating thing. And I, I, I think that what what our listeners have to do is they have to adapt and generalize some of what you're saying about how you approach either studios and then how studios or networks approach their millions of, of viewers businesses have to do something similar to that. And it's not easy to do, you know, but for me, the inside track, what I hear you saying the best, smartest and fastest way for, you know, for you and your business, it's really, it's about number one on the selling side, it's about curiosity. Curiosity is a, a big time word. Uh, ultimately, you're very focused on the fact that you're producing content and you're protecting your brand. And, and those were really the kind of the big takeaways for me. And they're not that different, by the way, that from many other companies, other companies have similar concerns, but they have to generalize uh, what you've said really into their into their environment, which is quite fascinating. So I did have one more question, uh, and that is, yeah. do you think with uh, the changing, like the convenience is king thing, do you think a 30-minute format is still going to keep working, or are, are they looking at changing you know, the, the way that they carve up time and, and so forth. So it depends on the genre. Uh, some formats are what they're called snackable. They work best as 30 minute formats. They're, they're kind of light fluff filler. They work. Well. 30 minutes is a, is a snackable? snackable. It's snackable. It, you know, you, you, you pop in, you pop out. It's, it's wallpaper in the background during the day. Uh, a lot of networks are snackable, like uh, home and garden, the food network. They just put on these, shows you know flip this make that kind of shows um not not to say they're not i mean they're some of the most popular shows on on television and they're on most of the time in our house but um those are those are those formats really work well uh, what you're getting now is a real interesting thing because everybody left cable you know where did people go where did the eyeballs leave you're getting now networks um in a little bit more of a desperate mode and how do you keep people so now they're increasing orders from one hour, half hours to one hours to even two hours. In other words, let's not put two one hours together. Let's make a big two hour special because we don't want people to leave. We want them to stay engaged in the show. And the problem with that is not all content travels well as a two hour format. You know, we tried it on Pitbulls and Prolees. And you know, you get it. She rescues, she adopts, she's got family problems and solutions. It works really well as an hour. We tried it this season as two hours and it didn't work. So you know, there are there are a lot of shows that are two hours that would like like 2020 to some of these that could be a lot more interesting in one hour. They drag them on and on and, and they just it, it just has, it just, the, the cadence isn't right. And there's just something that's, uh, you know, listen, I don't have an eye for it. I'm, I'm not suggesting I do, but 
my sense as a consumer is that some of these things they just drag on and on and they 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 use two words when they could use one and it just goes on so. yeah you know netflix uh which has been such an explosive hit they have it down to metrics right where their executives have actually told us in our shows something has to happen every seven to eight minutes you're either surprised you're laughing you're crying you know it's just kind of this um short attention span theater you know they've just figured it out and you know the time it could be an hour it could be 40 minutes it could be 36 minutes whatever is best for the show because again they don't have the commercial breaks that that you know you're having to deal with in cable you know six episodes is about right you know sometimes they picked up eight and they just get a little light there in the middle and people start, they need you to complete every episode. So completion rate is huge. If you turn on Netflix and you watch 20% of a show uh, and then you go, nah, that's not for me. And you turn it off. That's not a success for them. So they need high completion rate for their shows. So they, they broke it down to a science on, on viewing. Well, that's, that's what those technology people are great at, you know, is, is those metrics. But I wonder how many business people, how many of our listeners could take the concept of something happening every seven or eight minutes and adapt it into their into their sales process or adapt it into their marketing process or adapt it into uh, some of their human resource processes. I just wonder if it's possible to take that concept and move it over into other kinds of businesses. I bet it is. Um, what about what about the money? I mean, there these these uh, networks are selling commercials. Uh, People are kind of tired of commercials. If if, if people are, if these things are snackable and people are making dinner and they're not really watching, they're walking around, uh, then the advertisers certainly have to be saying, we don't really want to be attached to something that's uh, snackable or, or that, that's not really getting people's attention. So what are what are these uh, studios looking for, the networks looking for, uh, for their revenue streams going forward? That's an excellent question. Uh, hence the you know move now by discovering these networks to streaming. Um, you know, I think the deal that Discovery is doing is with Verizon. So they've kind of built in their you know platform with an advertiser. You know, it's it's no different than what television was like in the fifties with the Dinosaur. You know, uh, support branded um, show. I mean, advertising has driven cable. You know, we joke sometimes. You know, our shows are basically filler for the ads, you know, because they're so important. Well, that, that's that's what newspapers are. Newspapers is a bunch of filler so that they can have a place to put advertisements. And the more content they have, the more pages, the more they can sell ads. So, I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's kind of a weird thing, but that's how that works there, too. So you're going to see more more towards subscription models, you know, um, you know, on demand uh, charges, things of that nature that start to get around some of the advertisers because you know again i do think people's times are we're spending it differently our rhythms are different we we you know pandemic aside you know we're pretty active as as a as a human race you know we we run around and travel and so on so finding good content at our disposal uh and again it's a balance it has to be good content but uh that's going to be a, a big driving force in in the industry that i'm in so last question What's on the what's on the plate for you going forward? You got any good stuff in production now? <laughs> oh man! Well, let's see. Uh, producing in 2020 has been, <laughs> as I said earlier, necessity is the mother of invention. We've had to get very, very. Listen, maybe maybe uh, you can launch into animated, uh, you know, animated activities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
we've got a bunch of interesting things. We've got a, a new C series on TLC called Transplant Unit, uh, which is really amazing, really uplifting, uh, basically about transplants and people's lives and um, pretty, pretty remarkable uh, storytelling. It's partnered with Robin Roberts um, from ABC. Uh, we've got Nightwatch coming back on uh, A&E, 25 episodes in New Orleans. Those are the first responders who rush into harm's way to keep people um, safe. So we're really proud of that. Uh, we do this Hollywood medium show for E! with Tyler Henry that's coming back on uh, now on Netflix, where he's going to be touring the country, giving readings. And um, really, you know, if you believe in that stuff, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's kind of crossing over, you know, into... The other side um and then some other things that we're really excited about we hope that 2021 will be you know we'll be able to leave the cave you know and get back out into you know into the world and and travel and tell stories that we've been telling for 30 36 years so. well listen look forward to hearing more of your stories and uh what a great guest you have been what a uh, what a well, remarkable uh, success story you are uh you're creative yeah. and smart and you just made a lot of cool stuff happen so uh, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing uh, your wisdom with us here this morning. No worries. No worries. Nice talking to you. Joe. Thanks, man. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.